0: Versus a woman named Hannah. We see that Hannah is unable to have children, but she's a woman of great faith. So Hannah prays and God gives her a son named Samuel. Samuel is one of the towering figures in all of the Old Testament and and worthy of a lot of study himself. He's a great prophet of God. He is the last judge of Israel in a world of spiritual darkness and confusion. Samuel knew the voice of God and Samuel followed the will of God throughout his life. And just as important, I believe, is... Because of Samuel's integrity, the people of Israel trusted Samuel as God's spokesman. But what the Israelites wanted was a king, just like all the other nations had, a human king. I think we need to frame this a little bit. You see, up until this point, Israel enjoyed a distinction that no other nation on earth had ever experienced. God himself was their king. Think about that for just a minute. God himself was their king. They had no human king. They were just following these men as they spoke the words of God. God chose the Israelites to be his people, not because they were all that in a bag of chips, but maybe in spite of the fact that they were a very small nation, God pointed to Israel and said, you're going to be my people. So if you're out there and you're thinking, well, there's nothing that distinguishes me from anybody else, guess what? That's a good thing because in the eyes of God, you're just the one he's looking for. God wanted to be their God. God wanted to be their king. But as is so typical of human nature, Israel wanted what they didn't have. And what they didn't have was a human king like all the other nations. You find yourself wanting things you don't have? You're not ever satisfied with what you do have. You always want something you don't have, right? So God sent the prophet Samuel out to find a king for them. God chose Saul to be that first king of Israel. Now listen, here's the reality. This is what I want you to think about for just a minute. God chose Saul, just like God chooses people like you and me to to bring into his family. God wanted Saul to represent him to the people. God wanted Saul to lead his people as they fought against their enemies. God wanted Saul to Be an example to God's people in the will and ways of God. Guess what? God has raised people up just like you and me to represent Him well to the world we live in. He's anointed you, called you, made you holy, and has expressed His love to you through Jesus Christ and in a myriad of other ways because He wants the world to see what He can do through somebody like you and me. Saul looked the part of the king. Saul looked the part. I mean, he was a Hollywood archetype. For a king, he was taller than everyone else, he was strong, he was handsome, and at first Paul, uh, Saul appeared to be a humble man, he appeared to be a good man. We even see that Saul experiences a, a supernatural anointing of God's Spirit, that Saul even prophesies in the name of the Lord along with other prophets. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Some of you have already experienced that kind of anointing for yourself, not because you deserved it, but by the grace of God, you have felt the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit that's allowed you to step out out of the sin that you were in, has actually, you have felt His presence as you verbalized the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone else, as you have shared your testimony, you have felt that anointing power. Some of you may even have spoken in tongues, just like me and you know what that feels like, and you know the sense of empowerment that it gives you, and the sense of closeness that it brings to you when you're, as you're walking with the Lord. Well, Saul felt that too. Hear me. Saul experienced all of that too. He started off really well. He had it all going for him. Chosen by God, set apart by God, anointed by God, loved by God. Saul had it all when he started as king. But he just didn't finish well. He just didn't finish well. You see, it doesn't matter how well you start. It matters how well you finish. Come on, get that into your spirit right now. Some of you have started really, really well. How are you going to finish? That's what really matters. From the very beginning, Saul had a problem. From the very outset, Saul had a problem. He just never could seem to fully obey God's commands. From the very beginning, Saul made a habit out of partial obedience. Say that with me, partial obedience. That ought to bring a bitter taste to your mouth when you say it. Partial obedience. Saul would do some of what God commanded, but never all of what God commanded and this failure to fully obey the Lord cost Saul his relationships with God. Sin always costs you something. It cost Saul his relationship with God. It cost him his relationship with Samuel. It cost him his family, his throne, his kingdom, his life, and his legacy. And I think there are lessons we need to learn from Saul so that those of us who have started well in the kingdom of God will also Finish well, unlike Saul. I don't want to finish well. I don't really care how any of you started. What matters is how how you finish. So let's learn some lessons from Saul that will help us finish well. Finish the race of life well. Paul said, I have run the race. I have finished the course. And there is laid up for me now a crown of life. I don't know about you. I want that crown of life. I don't want to stumble and fall and find myself disqualified in the middle of the race. I want to finish well. And I think there are a lot of people in this room that feel the same way. I want you to go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And 1 Samuel 15 gives us the tipping point in King Saul's life. It's here that we see most clearly how Saul's failure to fully obey the Lord cost him everything. And when you leave this place today, you cannot say, boy, he didn't give me any of the word." We're about to read almost a whole chapter in 1 Samuel, okay? So it's a lot of word today, but I think we need to to read it together so that we can digest it and maybe go back and study it later this afternoon at home. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. I want to say this as we get into it, that God speaks in all kinds of ways to all kinds of people. And I believe that this message has been laid across our path this morning by God and for a reason. I'm not speaking to any individual person here. I'm speaking to a larger group of people. But I want you to know that you didn't just stumble in this room today. God brought you here for a purpose and the purpose was to hear this message. So I want you to listen carefully to what he has to say to us today. Because for some of us, listen to me. For some of us, it's a warning to stay away from things that displease God. And it's a warning not to go against the Word of God. For others, it's a call to stop and examine your life. It's a call to stop and look inside your own heart, to reflect honestly on your lifestyle, and to ask yourself this simple question. Here's the question I want you to ask yourself as we go through the message today. Am I living fully obedient to God's Word and His ways? Am I living fully obedient? obedient to God's Word and His ways? If you want to finish well, this is a question you're going to have to ask yourself all along this journey that leads us to heaven. Am I living fully obedient to God's Word and His ways? I tell you, the way you answer this question will determine to a great degree the level of blessing in this life you enjoy and the reward that awaits you in heaven. Am I living fully obedient to God's Word and His ways? How many of you want to live a full and abundant life here on earth? Relative happiness here, knowing that supreme happiness with Him forever is... Listen, this this is the question. This is the question you've got to ask yourself as you make your way home. You got that? You ready? All right. Let's read this passage of Scripture together. Now, really... There's a lot in here, and we're just going to skim the surface because we don't have time. 1 Samuel 15, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel, so listen now to the message from the Lord. Who's the message from? From Samuel? The Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Oh my Lord, you've got to be kidding. I thought he was a God of love. Yes, he is. He's a God of holiness too. And what you need to know about the Amalekites, why would God tell, tell Saul to go destroy that entire group of people? First of all, because the Amalekites had been a thorn in the side of the Israelites since they had come up out of Egypt into the promised land. They, the Amalekites had uh, waylaid them, had, um, had attacked them uh, out of the blue and killed several Israelites. And then as the Israelites took possession of the, uh, the Holy Land, of the Promised Land, they continued to be a thorn in the side, raiding them and stealing from them and, 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 uh, and, and doing things they shouldn't have been doing. The Amalekites were wicked, wicked people. They would... Uh, they worshipped false gods. They, they were, uh, giving their, they were uh, offering their infants as uh, burnt offerings to their God. There was all kinds of crazy things going on. And, and, and finally the time of judgment for them had come and Saul was going to be the one God used to bring judgment upon the Amalekite people. Now, just let me say this, looking ahead into the future. If Saul had done his job, instead of only being partially obedient to the Lord... If Saul had done as God had commanded him and completely wiped the Amalekites off, then we wouldn't have had the book of Esther later on. Because it was an Amalekite, if you've read ahead, who was the one that put the bug in the ear of the Persian king to kill all the Jews. It was an Amalekite, hundreds of years later, that nearly destroyed the Jewish nation. If Saul had done his job, they never would have faced that crisis. Guess what? A lot of us are not fully obeying the Lord, and we're trying to manage a sin instead of eradicating a sin, and it may not affect you. What about your kids? Because your liberty will become their license. I'm telling you, if God's speaking to your heart, deal with it. Don't play with it. Don't think you can manage it. Deal with it. Because he has a plan, and his plans are always for our good. You got that? Who? let's move on. Y'all looking at me like, oh, man, where's this thing going? Then Saul attacked. Oops, excuse me. Yes, that's where we are. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur. We've jumped down to verse 7. Near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Was he supposed to have taken that king alive? No. And all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. Well, that's not true because some of them got away. And I'm not saying the, the word is a, The word there is a, it's a hyperbolic kind of thing. Some of the king, king's family apparently escaped. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Now I want you to notice, I'm going to stop here and just make this little, uh, this little statement. King Saul partially obeys the Lord. He killed all the Amalekite people, or seems to have, but he spared the Amalekite king and the best of the Amalekite cattle. So he only partially obeyed. And this is what later nearly wipes out the nation of Israel hundreds of years later. When they're uh, among the Persians. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king. Because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Saul's refusal here. Now this wasn't the first and only time that Saul operated out of the sense of partially obeying the Word of God. This was a pattern in, Paul, in Saul's life. This wasn't the first time, but this was the last straw. This was the last straw for God. God rejects Saul as king here, and this caused Samuel great distress. I want you to notice the man of God was upset, not at Saul, but at God. But that didn't change the mind of God at all. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Liar, liar, pants on fire. But Samuel said, What's this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? Busted! (laughs) Anybody ever been busted? I did it, Mom, I did it! Why is there still underwear all over your floor then? I told you to pick it up. Busted. Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we, we totally destroyed the rest. Anybody ever play the blame game? I was the master of it. Mom, my brother made me do it. it wasn't me, I told him not to. He made me do it. Blame game. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy these wicked people. The Amalekites wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder? Say pounce on the plunder. Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. There he goes, justifying. Justifying. You ever find yourself justifying when you've been busted? Couldn't help it. Just couldn't help it. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers... Who's the king? Saul. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. Read that phrase with me. To obey is better than sacrifice. That's a key phrase. There's a lot of truth that hangs on those few words. To, say it with me again. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the, uh, like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much. And I pray, Father, you'd speak through me a word of grace. I speak through me a word of grace today, Father. I pray that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would move and flow among us, God. That you would be glorified in this message today, that we would see you in all of it. Lord, we love you so much, and we want our lives to reflect who you are. And we want to represent you well to the world around us. It's an enormous responsibility you have given us. I pray, Father, that each one of us in this room would take it seriously, and we would live out your will. God, we would live out your ways, so that the world around us could see in us and through us who you really are. Don't let us be a distortion. Don't let our lives distort the view that others have of God. Father, when people see us, may they see you living in us, the hope of glory. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that brings this word to life in us. Be glorified here today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look, as a church... The one thing I love about this church most, CLF, is that we try our very best to extend grace to people and give them a chance to work out the issues in their lives with the help of the Holy Spirit. All we do is try to tell the truth and encourage people and love them to, in order to help them learn how to live for the Lord. Uh, but I want to remind you again as we get into this message, which, which can seem pretty harsh if you don't know who we are, and I don't mean, mean it to be harsh, I, I want it to be challenging. I want it to be challenging, and I want it to be life-changing. I need to remind everyone in this room again that our goal and mission as a church is to help people become lifelong, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Our goal here is to help people align their lives with the will and the ways of God so that they can experience the full and abundant life God has in mind for them. I don't know about you, but I have found in my own experience, the only way for me to gain any happiness in this life is to put my life completely in the hands of the Lord and do as He tells me to do. I find myself being a better father, a better worker, a better pastor, a better friend if I will simply align my life completely with His. Wherever I begin to think I've got this, I can handle this, I've got this figured out, and go off on my own, I start getting in trouble. I can make a mess of things really, really fast. He alone is the one that has the words of truth that give me life, and life to the full. And that's what we're trying to do here today, is I share this word with you. Let's get our whole life surrendered to Christ so that we can fully align ourselves with His plan, His will, His ways. You see, I believe that God is looking for people who will simply follow Him. He's looking for, you may not have your theology all figured out. It doesn't really matter. What really matters is are you fully obedient to what you know? Are you living as best you know how right now aligned with the will of God? I believe that God is looking for people who will simply follow Him. He's looking for men and women who will take the Word of God seriously and live out these principles and live out these commands found in His book, the Bible. God is looking for obedience. He's looking for obedience. Genuine, wholehearted obedience. It's an obedient life that He will bless. How could God bless disobedience? What good parent blesses a child's disobedience? So what does this event in Saul's life teach us about the nature of disobedience? And what lessons can we learn to put ourselves on a path that will lead us into a life of complete obedience, where we can experience the blessings of this full and abundant life God has promised us, relative happiness, here, supreme happiness, there with him forever. So I want to talk for just a minute about the nature of disobedience. Where does that come from? First, disobedience is simply misplaced honor. Disobedience is simply misplaced honor. Verse 12 says that the very first thing Saul did when he defeated the Amalekites was to build himself a monument. The very first thing he did when he laid the sword down was say, y'all, build me a statue. Make it look like me. Evidently, Saul was more interested in making a name for himself than making a name for God. Evidently, Saul wanted people to give him credit for the victory rather than give God the credit for it. Evidently, Saul placed the glory of his name above the glory of God's name. Now, let me ask you a question. You know enough of the story by now to answer this. Who chose Saul and gave him the privilege of being the king of Israel? God. Who called Saul and equipped him with the strength, the wisdom, and the courage to win the battle against the Amalekites? God. But who did Saul think should receive the honor for it? Misplaced honor. Misplaced honor is a root cause for disobedience. Proverbs 16.8 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Thinking that you deserve the honor for the victories and the blessings in your life sets you up for disobedience. Because then you think, begin to think, I'm in control of this. And you ain't in control of nothing. You get that? Who chose you? saved you, and made you holy? Oh, come on. Who chose you, saved you, and made you holy? Absolutely. Who gave you the privilege of being a child of God? Do you think you've earned it? Do you think you deserved it? No. Who gives you the strength, the wisdom, and the courage to live a victorious, overcoming life? Who deserves all the glory for any success or blessing that comes your way? Man, you guys just got a new car this this week. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? And as soon as you think that car came to you because you deserved it, is the moment you begin to lose that car. You get that? When we begin to take the blessings and the victories that have been purchased for us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, when we begin to take credit for that, that's the moment we begin to slip away from the secure hold that God has in our lives. Because we think suddenly, look at me. Look at what I'm entitled to. Woohoo! I'm all that. Listen. Disobedience is simply misplaced honor. Never, ever take credit for anything good in your life. Oh, feel free to take care of all the evil stuff in your life. That's yours. Own it. But if there's any good in you or any good that comes out of your life, it's because God is good. And He is working in you and through you to make you good. You get that? Never forget. Never forget where the blessings come from, the Father of lights, in whom there is no changing. Listen, Romans 11.36 says this, For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things to Him be the glory forever. Can I get an amen? amen? God alone deserves the honor and the praise. God alone deserves the honor. Don't be building monuments to yourself. We have enough of that going on in the name of Jesus. We don't need any more of that. We don't need any more pride in the house of God. We need a lot more humility in the house of God. Second, disobedience is misplaced desire. Disobedience is misplaced honor. But disobedience is also misplaced desire. In verse 19, Samuel asked God, Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder? Say that with me. Pounce on the, I love that imagery, pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord. You see, when that battle was over, Saul and his army pounced on the plunder like hogs around a trough at feeding time. You ever seen hogs around a trough at feeding time? They're bumping each other out of the way. They're trying to get that, you know, get their snout down in that trough first. Squealing. Well, that's, that's the image I get when I hear this pounced on the They wanted it. They wanted their share. They wanted his share too. They wanted whatever they could get their hands on. In their greed and selfish lust, they completely ignored the clear command of God to destroy it all. They just ignored what God had said because the lust in their heart drowned out the voice of the Lord. They wanted to keep and enjoy the loot more than they wanted to obey and please the Lord. Misplaced desire. Disobedience comes from misplaced desire. Listen to me really carefully here. It's wanting to please yourself more than you want to please God. It's acting in such a way to make yourself happy, even when it's a clear violation of the Word of God. It's about setting yourself up as your own God. Arrogance is like the sin of idolatry. He said in this passage of scripture, Jesus says in Mark 8, 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And yet I see a lot of people who begin well with the Lord do that very thing, chasing something, a misplaced desire, something that was outside the will of God for their life, but hey, it did not matter because all they can hear is their own voice telling them what to do. They have sh- that, and it drowns out what God has clearly told them what to do. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Let me tell you something, guys. Nothing in this world, nothing in this world, no amount of money, no momentary pleasure is worth the price of your soul. If you have to choose between pleasing yourself or pleasing God, choose God every time. As hard as it might be to step away from that feeding trough, step away. Step away, step away. Third, disobedience is misplaced fear. What was the first misplacement? Misplaced honor, misplaced desire, misplaced fear. Disobedience is misplaced fear. I want you to notice what Saul says in verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men. And so I gave in to them. You see, Saul feared his men more than he feared his God. Saul feared facing the displeasure of an unholy people rather than facing the displeasure of a holy God. We do it all the time. That's a recipe for disobedience and disaster. When you're afraid of men more than you're afraid of God, you're already in trouble. You're halfway there. Whom do you fear more? Whom do you fear more, your friends or your God? Whom do you fear more, your boss or your God? Whom do you fear more, your government or your God? Whose opinion matters most to you? The culture around you or the Lord above you? Who do you fear? Disobedience is misplaced fear. Proverbs 29, 25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, for whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. I want you to think back over the course of your life. How many stupid things have you done because you are afraid of what others might think? Did it ever turn out well? No. Listen, it stands to reason that God will be displeased with dis- disobedience because at every point, disobedience is an attack on his glory. want you to... It stands to reason that God will be displeased with disobedience because at every point, disobedience is an attack on his glory. At every point... What It it, it replaces your honor for His honor. It replaces pleasure in things with your pleasure in God. It replaces the fear of man with the fear of God. What it does is it takes God off His rightful place as the authority in your life, as the one whom you will worship and serve and love with all of your soul, mind, it takes him off that rightful throne and it elevates someone else's honor, someone else's pleasure, and the fear of something else. It's idolatry. As a matter of fact, you you could go on and preach this, but rebellion is as the sin of divination. It's looking somewhere else for direction in your life rather than to God himself. It seeks a name for itself instead of a name for God. Disobedience elevates pleasure in things above pleasure in God. Disobedience puts the fear of man in the place of the fear of God. I don't know about you. I don't want to live that way. I want to know my life is lined up with his will and his ways because I know that's where my blessing lies. My relative happiness in this life, and that's all I'm shooting for here, my expectations aren't very high for happiness in this life, to be perfectly honest. Because I know the whole world, the whole world is arrayed, against people like me and you, it wants to prevent us from happiness, right? It wants to prevent us from living in the peace and the serenity and the joy and the hope that's our rightful inheritance. I know we, man, every day is a spiritual battle, amen? So I'm expecting that. So if he will promise me relative happiness in this life, and he does, if I live according to his word, I know one day I get to enjoy supreme happiness with Him forever in the next. No sorrow, no sickness, no pain. It's a land of no more. I don't know about you, I look forward to the land of no more. How can I guard, how can we guard our lives from disobedience? How can we guard our lives against the painful consequences that disobedience brings? We saw what it cost Saul. It cost him everything. His relationships with God, relationships with God. Samuel, it cost him his family, his life, his throne, his legacy. It co- we, we know what, what some of us have experienced firsthand, the cost of disobedience. What can we learn from Saul's life? Now, this is not a comprehensive list of principles, but it gives us a good start. I want to offer you three principles that we can draw from the life of, of Saul that help us live in obedience to the Lord so we don't have to face the same losses that he faced. First, and very important, Don't prioritize religion over obedience. Don't prioritize religion over obedience. What are you talking about? To Saul, offering sacrifices to God is more important than obedience to God. Think about it. Saul seems to think that he can do anything he wants as long as he continues to go through all of his religious motions. I can act any way I want as long as I offer sacrifices to the Lord. How does that translate for us today? I can do anything I want to do on Saturday night as long as I go to church on Sunday morning. It's all good. I can do anything I want with my money Monday through Friday as long as I give in the offering. Sunday morning. I can do anything I want. I can live any way I want as long as I come to the altar and pray a little prayer and ask for forgiveness knowing that I'm going to go back and do it again. Is that not how it plays out in our mind? I don't have to be obedient. I just have to be religious. Lots of people in churches today who have been anything but obedient, but they're in church today thinking somehow, It's going to make it all okay. God, and this is a struggle the Israelites continued to have throughout their history. God finally told them, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your prayers. I don't want your offerings. I just want you to obey me. That's what it all boils down to in the prophets. And I think he's saying the same thing to his people today. Throw all your religion away if you're not obeying me. Throw all that religious stuff away. It means nothing to me. It's all just clamor. It's noise. It's it's emptiness. Stop it. I just want you to obey me. Verse 22 tells us, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And I want you to know this. Listen, religious rituals have their place. Obedience is what God really wants from us. Church attendance and Bible studies and prayer and offerings, those are all good things. And we need to make them a part of our our lives. But what God really wants from us most is our obedience. Jesus says the exact same thing in John 14, 15 when he says, If you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So don't think it's changed. Don't think that was an Old Testament God and now the standards are different in the New Testament. Oh no, not, not whatsoever. Here in the New Testament, we're given a new heart, and the Spirit of God lives inside of us. Saul never had that. But yet I still see so many of us living in what we know to be disobedience, and we never seem convicted by it. We just carry on with it. Like it doesn't matter to God, because I've got got him covered with all the religious stuff I do. Uh Uh-uh. God wants his children to be fully obedient to him. You guys getting this? I hope so. I'm not trying to condemn you. I want you to think about it for just a minute. So don't think that your religion, don't, don't prioritize your religion over your obedience if you want to live completely obedient to the Lord and experience the blessings that he has for you. Second, never justify partial obedience. Never justify partial obedience. We see this in this chapter here. Saul thought that just because he obeyed some of God's commandments, that he had done enough to satisfy the Lord. But partial obedience is not obedience at all. What? Don't we get partial credit? Look, it's not up to us. Follow me here. It's not up to us to decide which of His commandments we'll keep and which ones we'll ignore. Think about that for just a minute. It's not up to us to decide which of His commandments are important and which of His commandments are unimportant. Which ones we're going to keep, which ones we're not going to keep. If we do that, guess who we are setting on the throne of our hearts as God. To do that, to do that means that we trust ourselves more than we trust Him. To do that means we choose to live our way, not His. To choose partial obedience, it's a form of idolatry. It's a, it's a form of idolatry that sets self up as the God that we love and we serve. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And I'm afraid a lot of us Follow me again. What did they do in the book of Judges? They did what was right in their own eyes. There's not anybody in this room that does what's wrong in your eyes. We always do what's right in our eyes. The only problem is what's right in our eyes may still be wrong in God's eyes. Does that make sense? We can't make those kinds of judgments. If God has said it, let's just do it. Let's fully submit ourselves to him. Let's surrender all the authority of our life into his hands. And let him lead and guide. Stop arguing with him. Stop stop trying to find loopholes in the contract. There are none. We're bad. Attorneys are the worst. They're looking for loopholes. That's what they get paid to do, I guess. Anyway. Never justify partial obedience. Second, if you want to live fully obedient to the Lord, take full responsibility for your disobedience. If you want to be, if you want your life to line up with the will of God, live in his blessing, then take full responsibility for your disobedience. I don't know about you, I find myself often being convicted over some way I've disobeyed the Lord. Now, what are you talking about, Pastor Mark? You're a pastor. You've been walking with the Lord for longer than Miss Lorna's been alive. Surely by now you've got all this figured out. You never disobey- Oh man, are you kidding me? I find myself constantly The Lord tapping me on the shoulder saying, man, Mark, son, that word should not have come out of your mouth. Mark, that attitude, no, that's not for for a child of God. I find myself constantly being corrected by my heavenly father. You know why he does that? Because he loves me. A, a, A father corrects his children because he loves them and he's trying to bring the best out in him. Take full responsibility for your disobedience. Saul paints a picture of a man who couldn't or wouldn't ever admit he was wrong. You get that in that conversation he had with Samuel? He just could not bring himself to say, boy, I screwed that up. Now, what you're going to see in David's life is just the opposite. David, in my mind, committed far worse transgressions against the Lord than Saul did. But what happened was when David Was confronted by his disobedience, he immediately owned it. And said, I've sinned, not only against the person I have sinned, against the Lord. That's the difference. That's the difference between, between being a man after God's own heart and a man like Saul. Take full responsibility for your disobedience. Saul denied his sin, Saul justified his sin. Saul excused his sin. Saul blamed others for his sin. The one thing Saul never seemed to do was own up to his sin. Confess his sin and take responsibility for it. Let me tell you something, guys. The only remedy for disobedience is to take full responsibility for it. When the Spirit of God speaks to your life and says, you can't do that again, don't say, but God, they made me. But God. You made me that way. Listen to what Psalm, this is a Psalm of David, by the way. You're going to get a glimpse into David's heart right here in this Psalm when he says in Psalm 32, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. There was a physical effect to the guilt he was feeling inside of him. And I groaned all day long. There's an emotional effect to disobedience. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And this is the good news. And you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. You see, that's the reality. When you find that you are living in some way disobedient to the Lord, when it comes to your attention, when the Holy Spirit brings it to your attention, don't justify it, don't excuse it, don't blame somebody else. Own up to it, take responsibility for it, confess it, and then begin to live in the freedom that you were created to live in. Let the guilt go. Let the shame be put behind you. You walk into a newness of life. That's what the cross is all about. The New Testament says almost exactly the same thing in 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, if we confess, say confess. Confess simply means I'm coming in agreement with God. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The only way to step into the life of freedom that God has called you to is to take responsibility for the sin in your life, the disobedience in your life, to lay it before the Lord, bring it to Him, and let Him remove it from you so you can... It's almost like, you know, when... I'm sorry, this image is coming to my mind, and I know I'm going long here, but it's so so important, especially for those of us who are new in Christ. I'm thinking about Lazarus when he came out of the tomb. If you can remember that story, it's found in the book of John. Jesus tells Lazarus to come forth from the tomb. And this man who had been dead for four days and was stinking the joint up, suddenly comes moving, walking through that, that, uh, the entrance to that grave. But he's still wrapped in these grave cloths. And the Lord said to the men loose him from that cloth. The problem is some of us are still walking around in our grave clothes. And we don't have a lot of freedom because we haven't allowed the Lord to remove those bindings from we're still bitter. We're still angry. We've still got attitudes that don't need to be there. We still have disobedient behaviors. We know they are, but we haven't allowed anyone to remove those bindings, those grave clothes. So we're still walking around kind of like that old man, trying to live like a new man. And we wonder, why, why am I not feeling the freedom? It's because the Lord is confronting you about the sin that still remains in your life, the attitudes, the behaviors that don't belong. And it's time for you to let them go, to let People in living recovery, a sponsor, a, 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 a maybe this message itself is pointing out to you something in your life that's keeping you bound in those old grave clothes. I'm telling you today, if the Lord's speaking to your heart about a sin, about a habit, about an attitude that's still got you bound, let him deal with it today. Bring it to him. Confess it. Say, God, this is mine. I own it. Help me to be free of it. Guess what? He loves prayers like that. And that's when the grave cloths begin to fall off. You can begin to experience more and more of the freedom that you were created to enjoy in Christ Jesus. Is, is that making sense? I hope so. I hope so. I, I see too many people walking around in gray clothes, if you will. You're meant to be free. But you can't be free until you let those attitudes go, those behaviors go, that mindset go, that, that corrupted view of who God is. and who, You've got to let all that stuff go so God can have his way in your life and let you live in the freedom that he created you to live in. Look, that's what 1 John 1, 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, if we agree with God that what I'm doing right now is wrong and it goes against the will and ways of God, then God is faithful and just and will forgive us those sins and purify us, purify us. The grave clothes begin to fall off and we can walk in freedom, but it only happens when we take full responsibility for our sins, when we own up to them, when we agree with God that what we've done is wrong, and then he moves, and then he forgives, and then he purifies All right, I'm worn out, and I imagine you guys are too. I've gone longer than I wanted to go, but I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. Michael, would you come back, please? (coughs) Excuse me. <coughs> I told John at the end of the first worship set <coughs> there seems to be a strange vibe in the room I don't know what's going on I don't know if the devil's fighting against the message this morning or if something happened among some of us this morning that's causing some discord division I don't know but right now in the name of Jesus I rebuke that and I ask the Lord to have his way Division and distractions from the enemy, just like disobedience and deception. So if you were part of anything that went on before the service this morning, and and I don't know if you are or not, I'm just saying if there was something, then right now I want you to let that go and I want you to focus on what God is saying to you. There is no doubt in my mind that God has a plan and a purpose for everyone in this room, and it's a good one, and it's a joyous one. And it's one full of freedom. And it's one full of life and faith and joy and peace and hope. This this really is the inheritance of the children of God. A life that's full of Him and all that He brings. So many of us are living so far short of that. And so many who begin so well finish so poorly. And they never seem to advance. They never seem to... To move forward in their walk with Christ, they never seem to experience this joy that's uh, that's full and, and that's unspeakable and full of glory. They never seem to enjoy the peace that passes all understanding. And let me tell you, the, the the reality is, the more disobedience we permit to exist in our lives, then the less God can bless us with His presence and power. That's just the way it works. Nothing's changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The height of the full and the, the the measure the measure of the fullness of life that you enjoy in Christ is directly tied to the amount of disobedience or the the the, the 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 level to which you obey the Lord. Your obedience and your blessing they're linked inseparably. Saul found this out the hard way. The people of Israel continued to struggle with this. They continued to prioritize religion over obedience. And it continued to cause them problems. They continued to think that partial obedience was enough. But God's after fully obedient hearts. He can't bless disobedience. None of us in this room are perfect. All of us are struggling in some area. That old dead man, the one that died with Christ, the devil wants to keep propping that dead man up as if he was alive. You count him as dead. Walk in the new life that Christ has for you. Take off those old attitudes, those old behaviors, those old grave cloths. Take them off and put on these new garments, the garments of salvation, the garments of peace and hope and love. Purity. I think the Lord's moving in the room. So I'm simply going to open up the altar. We're going to spend some time in worship. If you need to conduct some business with the Lord, I'm going to invite you to come. Bow your knee to his throne, but don't do it out of a sense of religious obligation. Do it because you know, you know, it's time. It's time to own up to the disobedience in your life. It's time to let it go. It's time. It's time to take full responsibility. The Lord is pointing it out to you this morning. And it's His Holy Spirit. Don't run away from the Lord. That's condemnation. The Holy Spirit is calling you to the Lord, to His throne. If you confess your sin, He is faithful and just. and He will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Take those old grave cloths off. Come, as we just spend some time in worship. If you need to deal with with some issues in your life, now's the time. If you want someone to pray with you, bring them up here with you. Or touch me on the shoulder, I'd be more than happy to pray with you this morning. God wants to set some of you free. You've struggled for far too long with things. (laughs) You're fighting battles, he's already fought for you. He's already set you free from that prison door. The door's wide open. All you got to do is step through it. Jesus, move in this place. Spirit of God, hover over us. Speak to hearts and lives. Oh, God, change us changes from the inside out. Help us to surrender to you, Father. Help us to yield to you every area of our life. Our homes, our families, our relationships, our work, our money, our sex lives, help us to release to you everything so that you can have your way in us. We know that whatever we try to hang on to, it's going to cause us trouble. Help us to let it go so that you can have your way.